Hello and welcome to the Behind the Artist podcast with Park West Gallery. I'm Gallery Director Morris Shapiro. If you'd like to view works of the artists I'm interviewing and learn more about them, please visit our podcast site with links to more content at parkwestgallery.com forward slash podcast. International art dealer Park West Gallery is proud to present our new podcast series, Behind the Artist. Each episode will be talking to popular contemporary artists to learn the stories and inspiration behind their extraordinary artwork and fascinating careers. I suspect that this interview with artist Eric Dowdle will surprise you. If you're familiar with Eric's work, you already know that he's a serious artist with an unshakable commitment to his work and great technical mastery, but in this segment, Eric candidly discusses his insights into the art and culture of our times and how he sees his work fitting into the narrative of that long and story genre and one which very few artists pursue, folk art. Eric also gives us some unique insights into building his worldwide products business and his path to becoming the undisputed puzzle king, and yet, even with all of his success, remaining true to his art. He also discusses the evolution of his hit TV show, which is even more amazing considering how few art shows ever make their way onto television. I know you'll also enjoy his wry sense of humor with some good laughs along the way. This is Behind the Artist. It's no frills, just real and deep conversation. I'm Maura Shapiro, and I hope you enjoy this journey into the life and art of Eric Dowdle. So, Eric, thanks for uh, joining us. It's thanks a pleasure. Yeah, a pleasure to have you here. I've been looking forward to this segment for a long time. Big fan of your work. Thanks. Big fan of your accomplishments. I, I, I kind of stand in awe, and I look at what you've been able to do with your work and your life and marvelous business that you've built that's so substantial. You know, It's just so cool to see somebody decide they're going to be an artist and work so hard and get on that path and continue to walk the path and then just constantly get better and better and make cooler and cooler oh, stuff. And just well, just you're you're kind things. to say that because sometimes you're digging holes and working so hard you don't realize you wonder, where yeah, you're going. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, this is really going to work out. But yeah, so it's so inspiring and you know to see someone like yourself that have achieved so much in the in the field of art, which is, as you and I both know, something that's very challenging to be successful. Yeah, everybody loves the word starving attached to <laughs> So, um, let's talk about folk art, because it's such a misunderstood category, don't you think? And it's just such yeah. a remarkable type of art that so few people pursue. And I would like to know your definition, if you have such a thing, of folk art, and what attracted uh, you to it. How you ended up becoming a folk artist? Was it a natural evolution? No, it's a good question because I was talking to my wife about this. I'm going, I take art seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I noticed that. I like to, well, you know, then you get caught up in a world of, of, of mindless, shallow thinking. But folk art, I think what's great about it is you're allowed to play in those waters a little bit more where you don't take yourself serious. So to me, the definition of folk art in its simplest form is the interaction uh, uh, between people and their environment. Folk being the operative word, people, people in their environment. And so going into that arena of painting that, I, I wanted to do classical. I wanted to do... Well, you, uh, you could. You could paint draw. I've seen your drawing chops. Well, and, really and, and when I went yeah. to go into college, they, they warned me. 
You'll never be taken serious. Don't do it. You went to art school? Uh, for one year, and then I realized if I stayed in school, I would mimic the masters or my professors. And I went, if I venture out on my own and just tackle the world, I will find my niche. Found some great stuff, there was some material and artists and pieces from everybody. You, you can't help but take some of that with you. But folk art has been a joyful journey for me in realizing who I really, I was four years into painting before I realized, wait a minute, this is exactly the style of art I should do because it's storytelling. I'm from a big family. We'd sit around the dinner table and rough each other up and tell stories, and, and it, this is a natural venue for it. So that's how I got to it, really, in a lot of ways. So we just followed your path, followed your path artistically. What do you, yeah. wanted, to, what do you wanted to paint and draw? It just ended up becoming folk art. Yeah. Seems like to me, yeah. Yeah. If you want to put a label on it. That's a that's good way to put it. Yeah. Most people, when they think of folk art, you know, they think of primitive art or naive art. Those are two terms that are often used, and they're not pejorative terms, it's just how people describe them. The Donier Rousseau, Henri Rousseau, was one of the first ones to have the label put upon him. He was a customs official in France, and he painted for fun on the side, and he painted what he loved to paint, and right. he was discovered by Picasso. Picasso was like, this stuff's really cool, this guy's no yeah, idea. Which, which one was the one that got him noticed? Right, it was right. the one he least yeah, thought. Yeah. yeah, and so they they sort of embraced him, Picasso and, and his group, and they kind of embraced him, they kind of laughed at him at the same time, they made fun of him, but they embraced him at the same time, and then suddenly his painting, then he believed he was being taken seriously as an artist, and suddenly his paintings were becoming amazing. You know, they really kind of transformed a lot of art history. But you can go back even to artists like uh, Bruegel. You right. remember Bruegel's work? Bruegel's kind of like a folk artist, even though the work's Bill very straight realistic. folk artist yeah. kind of a feeling, yeah. yeah. And then you go into artists like uh, uh, Grandma Moses in America, and your favorite, who is uh, Waisaki, Charles Waisaki. Right. What did you discover his work? I moved from the west to the east, and uh, growing up in Wyoming, where everything was uh, animals and and scenery, and, and of course beautiful layouts of horizons. And uh, when I moved back to Boston, it became more of a storytelling atmosphere and background. And folk art's big back east. It was not that much of a genre that I was even introduced in the west. Right. But you get to Boston, and Wysocki was from California. He, it's interesting, he painted Boston because, and he didn't live there, and so he'd make a pilgrimage to the East Coast to really? discover and get that feel. He mm-hmm. felt if he would have moved to the East, it would have become too much a part of him and he wouldn't appreciate it. Oh, wow. And so I, I got that experience being in the West, moving mm-hmm. to the East Coast and seeing everything fresh and new, and immediately I understood Wysocki, but the, the joyful discovery was going, wait a minute, he gets to incorporate his story from it. So um, I moved I moved back east, and that's where I really discovered the primitive feel, and Wysocki introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I, de- I, I there was a lot of mimicking, and then I departed probably within the second year of my professional career, and it was by doing specific places mm-hmm. that was the difference, because Wysocki never really painted a specific place. It was all oh, out really? of creativity. Mm, just imagine. Which, oh, which yeah. which was fantastic because his world uh-huh. was the world we all wanted to live in. Right. And I went, well, okay, how do you take that world and find it in the current in world? In the current world, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. What's the folk side of a place like Kansas City? Because that's not a whimsical town. Right. But I, have, I go to it looking for that whimsical side mm-hmm. and try and create what he did in a fake world, not a fake world, in imaginary. a, in a imaginary. yeah, imaginary creative world 
versus what's real. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I used him but to, to for inspiration, mm -hmm. but you but draw you from everybody. You find your own path. When did you start going out to different places and trying to document them? Because that's kind of your trademark now, you know. Yeah, it wasn't when I started. I, 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 living in Utah, I painted a lot of the West and and different places like that. It's interesting. The first place outside of uh, Utah that I painted was Philadelphia. Mm. Now, if there's a different culture, more different than, than yeah, Utah. Than, yeah, than Wyoming or that area, Philadelphia, and I got back and I went because of the joy of discovery of a culture it was at what and most of our in my opinion or a lot of people it doesn't matter what your career it is you're pursuing it's an accidental discovery sure. I mean, people go to college and get an accounting degree and before they know it they're they're doing plaster right. uh, it, mm -hmm. who knows you just right. figure out where you're going to go and philadelphia showed me that being somewhat uh, sheltered i needed to experience all walks of life and that form of art allowed me to travel mm -hmm. and bring that culture to other places. Mm -hmm. I think we're just now starting to travel. I mean, we've traveled for 50, 60 years as a society, but it's crazy to think we really are, I mean, millennials are traveling more so than we ever did. Mm -hmm. You can tell somebody you went to Asia or Europe and they're like, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. It used to be such a, wow, you've been to Europe. It's not a bucket list, it's an expectation almost. That's an odd way to put it, but uh, that's the look I see in 20-year-old's eyes. Yeah, of course I'm going to go to Europe. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to uh, play to or mm -hmm. paint for. Now, when you went to Philadelphia and you made this first painting or experienced these first uh, notions, how were you intending to market that work? Were you just going to sell paintings, or did you know they were going to turn into other yeah, stations? Uh, this was the challenge at the beginning of my career, trying to find a buyer for a place I wanted to paint. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's not hard to go, yeah, I want to paint Bangkok, I want to paint Rio, and I need to go there. Well, that's nice and good, but you better have a client that wants to buy it mm -hmm. at the beginning of your career. And so, Especially with your, your, your paintings take so long to paint. Yeah, so yeah, I can't risk three months time. and sitting on it. And so it, a lot of, of generics in, in between at the beginning of my career, it wasn't until later mean, on. What generics? I mean, like a generic. Well, I say, yeah, generics yeah. would be um, Halloween, a, a time yeah. or place that right. everybody no can relate location. to. Christmas, yeah. or, or a topic like uh, cars, mm -hmm. or uh, something that people love. And that's mm -hmm. the Americana mm -hmm. side of folk art sneaking in, where I think Waisaki was fantastic, along with Norman Rockwell and other people who, interesting enough, were actually paying their time period but it became nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So I liked that generic side of what they did mm -hmm. on the way to paint places that I thought would broaden that horizon. So I still have to do the places and ev or the events and topics that people love mm -hmm. because you can put up a bunch of cities in front of people and, and hopefully not, something. If they're, if they're not from there yeah. or have some attachment to it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you a story that, that really opened my eyes in the art world. Do you mind if I go into it? Because you're asking good questions, but to really lay a foundation for what introduced me to the art world was I was doing a festival, or a, in Scottsdale they had those large tents where they'd bring in the artists and a lot of the snowbirds would go down there. Yeah, and I, I've been to them before. You've been to yeah. them before. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. long experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was down there and I had a dream while I was down there. 
and in this dream, I dreamed that I that I died. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting thing, and where in the middle of the dream, various things happened, but um, I kept asking the the gentleman that was taking me on this journey after I died, "Hey, don't I get to go to my funeral?" And he kept he's looking at me, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you, that'll be fine." And it felt like I'd been gone for like a month or two months and finally I said listen I know I love all the things you're showing me and this is really nice but I want to go to my funeral he goes don't worry about it time is different here and I'm, I'm getting to an art point here believe it or not <laughs> he goes uh, time is different here and I go well how's that work and, and what do you mean by that and he goes it's all math I mean it's all math and immediately my eyes in my dream was opened up to this element of numbers and relationships in spaces that was quantified by numbers. And, uh, and as it opened up, everything was assigned this, this physical look. And, and I immediately saw space and patterns in my dream and the relationship of everything, positive and negative, high energy, low energy, based on the angles and shape of everything. Wow. And and he looks at me, the, the person in the dream, and goes, it's all math. And immediately I woke up. Now, I'm panicking when I woke up because I'm waking up my wife going, Honey, I had the worst dream ever. When we die, it's all about math. And she goes, that does sound like a horrible dream. And, but, but it came clear to me what it meant. And so all are, of a sudden... Are you a math guy? No, yeah. no. But that, that happened at night mm -hmm. or that day. The very next day at this tent, those festivals down there in, in Scottsdale, I was just doing my normal day, painting while somebody was looking at my work, and this gentleman who looked like he was trying to figure out the root number of 7,452 was, was staring at my art. So normally, naturally, I walked over and I'm, can I help you? And he, and he shushed me. I'm, I'm busy. And I'm like, all right, I'll let you browse and whatever. I'm over here if you need me. He goes, that's fine. An hour goes by, and he is studying my art like I would love everybody to study my art. Um, and I asked him again, can I help you out? And he goes, and he shushed me again. And a few minutes went by, and he finally walks over to me at my desk. I'm like, finally, I'm going to get some art. And he looks at me, and he goes, your art is mathematically sound. Now, I was early in my career, I'm like, fantastic, do you like it, and do you want to buy some? <laughs> um, and, and, and he just said it was mathematically sound, and he goes, very enjoyable, and went on Walks his way. Yep. And, and I'm like, what was that? Now, the other artists were watching, because they knew who he was. I was oh. young and naive and had no idea, and even today, most people would not know who this person was. But he was the dean of the, the math department at Arizona State University. And he journeyed to the festival or to the art show sure. just to take a look at it. So I, since that moment, I've tried to make sense of this dream, this moment. My art's mathematically sound, and it's one of those realizations where you're going naturally inside of myself. And and everybody has this. They they like something or they don't like something, but they don't know why. And that dream showed me that it's because because of an equation, a mathematical equation that is in all of us that helps us see or realize whether or not we like something or don't like something, or something's pleasing or unpleasing in some way or another. It, 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 so folk art, because it's not the most emotional based art, it's all about the shapes and colors and angles. Mm -hmm.
reason why I'm telling you this story and understanding where I've gone and where I'm going is that I was fortunate to have that because it showed me how important the creativity of art in our lives needs to be explored and understood. If we're going to be happy in every area, that was a pivotal moment. And yet still this day, I'm like, I sure would like to have him bought some art, but uh, <laughs> I'll take a good compliment, I guess. The notion of you know, mathematics and proportion and scale. And I know this is where you want this conversation to go, to math, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, there is, a, there is a foundation, a lot of mathematic. I guess I guess would be mathematical, you know, the, the Fibonacci sequence, you know, and the shapes, organic shapes, yes. and the you know, divisions by three, the, the ideals of beauty, if you look at someone who supposedly is very beautiful, the way their faces are proportioned, right. fits into a mathematical or, you know, ratio of... Of, uh, they can break it down and, and yeah. show you exactly right. why somebody is pleasing to look mm -hmm. at. And yeah. it's not always the style of the day. It's right. it's it's uh, it yeah long lasting. Yeah, yeah. So you're not thinking about that when you're painting, though. Are you not at all. No, no. You're looking. You're not. You're just intuitively <laughs> but, balancing your. That, that's the thing. I'll look at something. And I'll go. I gotta change that mm -hmm. because it doesn't there's, feel right. Yeah, there's yeah. a relationship of of lines that doesn't feel right mm -hmm. now you could that's why I like sketching I like drawing the the pieces out completely before I go to it do you do an entire painting sketch out yeah for the most part I do love to every now and then just go for it because yeah. then you're gonna you move a little bit more fluid uh, you get to work the paint but I lay it all the way out which is interesting after you do that then this relationship of color balance plays in mm -hmm. And uh, you focus more on the color relationship. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, and, and you talk the three. Yeah. Uh, everything's in relationship of three in a painting, mm -hmm. in my mind, as I manipulate color. Mm -hmm. And and that's something that I've enjoyed figuring out. But it's it, again, it's one of those natural progressions. Mm -hmm. I don't know if how that translates to other people's worlds, but when you put on clothes, you put on what you like. Some people just say, "Oh, I don't care," and maybe they don't. But something deep down inside, they can identify something they like. Mm -hmm. That's why we like mannequins. They all dress so nicely. <laughs> so, I, I know you dress like a mannequin, Mark. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So I've seen you carry around a sketchbook. You know, you're all, you, you, you're, you're sketching stuff all the time. And then when you go out into your locations, you'll sketch the people. You'll capture them, you know. Uh, when you meet them, or you'll get a photograph and, and you know sketch the photograph. Yeah, much to the film crew's chagrin. Look, Wait on, I'm not yeah, done right. drawing yeah, here. Stop. Yeah. stop. Yeah, he's yeah. not done yet. So then you take those drawings and and reference photographs, and then you start putting them into a composition, yeah. uh, in a drawing format. I've, I actually I remember the, was it the first time we worked together was that in Alaska our first event together. I think so, and you had a drawing, you had a f almost finished drawing. You're working at it in your cabin. Yes. On the ship. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think it was in China. I was doing it was in China? Taj Mahal. Okay. I was laying out the Taj Mahal. Okay. I remember seeing it. It was a big drawing. It was a really nice, large-scale drawing. You were yeah, I was, it was, yeah. I was. And these cabins are so huge. I was. <laughs> I was posting, pasting it up on the, on the mirror. Wall. Oh, the mirror. On the mirror, yeah. and I'd uh -huh. step back a whole yeah. three feet to get perspective. <laughs> but I remember seeing it. It was really cool. It was very detailed. For some reason, I enjoy the detail yeah. side of it. As time goes on, though. I leave that out in the drawing phase mm -hmm. just for time's sake. Yeah, right. But yeah. yeah. Then you work and bring the detail in the painting. Are the drawings always the same size as the paintings? Or something yeah, larger? Yeah, when I first started, I'd draw mm -hmm. large. But now yeah. I'll, I'll find that the, 
the smaller, the better perspective. I mean, you don't have to back up. You draw something really small, and you get the view you're looking for right uh -huh. there. So you make a small drawing, then interpret that into a larger painting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So your process now, when you're making your paintings, are you laying in under colors of areas? Are you putting in like big areas of blue and big areas of green, and then building up, or are you going section by section and just you know layering more and more detail as you go? I can tell you, you paint yourself by no, even no, asking. I don't paint. Yeah, no, yeah. Just, but you understand the process well enough because watercolor and acrylic. And at the beginning part of my career, it was all watercolor. You mentioned I, that. Yeah, I, I love the the nostalgia you can um, get with watercolor. It's also good training because it's so hard. So yeah, yeah. And, and that's how I started. So yeah. I didn't know that I was dealing with one of the more difficult, but but it also allowed. And you don't get to make mistakes with acrylic, mm -hmm. or with watercolor. Right. It's down. It's yeah. there. Yeah, it's over. But it's the opposite. You're you're adding light, and you're going darker. And so when I switch, and I switch because something about putting original art behind glass, people want to see the texture and feel. And a watercolor doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. So to go acrylic and go base to light, dark to light. Mm -hmm. um, it's I lay the whole painting down dark. So if I if I know something's gonna be yellow, I lay down a deep ochre, mm -hmm. knowing that it's gonna come to yellow, mm -hmm. or if it's gonna be a bright red, it starts out magenta, and then I move it to the red and look mm -hmm. for the overall tone. If I want it to have a purple feel, uh, that's the overall base coat. Mm -hmm. And so I I do the whole piece base coat first. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody walks in and this when you're early in your career, you're like, don't look at my painting till it's done. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to explain, but uh, now if you walk in and I'm I'm okay with that because it's a process and I, I I know where I'm going, but it'll look like a dark mess. Mm -hmm. Just air, splotches of color. Yeah, yeah. And then you're laying in. Do you draw over that? No. Yeah, once I you, once you, I start to put paint on, you I'm, stay with paint. I'm almost done in my head. Then right. it becomes uh, labor, mm -hmm. more or less. I still enjoy the right. the manipulation mm -hmm. of all the paint on canvas. Yeah. But I'm already p drawing the next piece uh -huh. at that point. Yeah, then it's just execution. Because it's done in yeah. your head at that yeah. point. I find that so fascinating how artists are able to muster the discipline to go through those processes. Because you don't get the fulfillment, the satisfaction until you lay that last, last details on, right? And you get to sign it. And uh -huh. then you stand back and go, ah, you know. But you know, it's you, so you, hard you to mentioned that. that. Uh, I don't yeah. know how many artists deal with this, uh -huh. but you, you've heard the term. A, a painting's never done. Right, right. You have yeah. to get to the point where you are, and this translates well to relationships. My wife's like, let it go, all right? That perfectionist side, because if you're in the detailed side of art, it can never be too deep. Uh, you can always add more detail. I don't know how you can add more detail. I know paintings, that, dude. and so so that's the part where I, <laughs> I look at your this paintings. Is, I'm like, you meant, I mentioned Philadelphia earlier. That was yeah. when they put it. They were doing a a class, and they wanted to use some of my art, and they and they used several artists, but they put that piece up, and the lady looks at it, and then she looks at the crowd, and I'm there on a date with my wife. And oh, she looks at. Wait, you got to set this up more. So, okay, more say, this is way back in my career. Right. Okay. I was single. You just finished a painting of Philadelphia. Right. And it's being shown where? It's when? being shown at, at a workshop. Workshop. Okay. And this lady in front of about two hundred students. Or, yeah, yeah, but okay. she was a, she was a renowned critic in okay. in the yeah, uh, art yeah. center there okay. in California. And so you're courting your wife. Yes. Yeah, and so I went, I'm like, yeah, you want to see this critique? I have no idea what's going to happen. Let's thing here. I got a painting being Yeah, and she goes, oh, that'd be nice. At this point, I'd, I'd, I'd made a pretty good name where I was, but uh, I'm still trying to impress the lady. 
But I took her to this, uh, and she looks at it, and you, you just mentioned the detail and the psychosis behind <laughs> the goes, detail. This dude is crazy. She looks out at the crowd, she goes, I have no idea who this is, but this man should never get married. Oh, seriously? <laughs> and I'm looking, I look over, I'm like, hey, uh, what do you think now? <laughs> Somehow she was able to see through that, and we got married. But, uh, but now, because of that idea or thought, and I, I guess people who paint more for mood, mm. maybe they feel the painting's done because the mood is right mm -hmm. and it's a good feeling and they can put a, put a lid on it if you will mm -hmm. I, I have to go alright I'm done I, I, I could do more on it but I've got to just say I'm done because you'll mm -hmm. never stay employed mm -hmm. trying to perfect everything yeah well you only have so much time you can't just uh, yeah you're already putting how many hundreds of hours in your paintings <clears throat> so that, that the painting is never done, but mm -hmm. folk art with the detail, it's not for the weak. I guess if the reason why I look back and I go, oh, I was meant to do folk art. I grew up on a farm. We got up at 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning before school, we milked the cow, fed mm -hmm. the chickens, mm -hmm. long before the day ever started. We get to school and everybody's like, I'm exhausted. Why? What would you do this morning? I rolled out of bed and ate breakfast and came to school. I'm like, man, I have already... And so that mentality, that work side of things... Is translated to folk art because I've wondered. I mean, there's some great folk artists out there, but there's not very many young ones. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a young, detailed folk artist to, to rise up, and they need a certain work ethic. That yeah, that's that's it. Available today, yeah, be out there. I'm yeah. sure they're out there. Would you say they just? I'm always. If a dairy farmer ever becomes a folk artist, I'm gone. You're, you're no, I can't compete with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, that's wild. How did the evolution come in of the of the products, and what were the first products that you licensed? When did this happen, yeah, and how I, did it happen? So I'm a combined marriage. Uh, she brought two into the marriage, I brought two, and we've had one together, and then we adopted three. Mm. For those who are figuring out math again, that's mm -hmm. eight. That's mm -hmm. a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. And <clears throat> as I'm, I was doing the paintings, it was an accident that I started doing puzzles. And the again part of the accidental joy of discovery realizing four hours of somebody studying your art and that part is enjoyable but then I, I'm, I'm a big relationship guy I really enjoy being around people um, when you're doing a puzzle you engage with the people you're, you let your hair down I'll, I'll tell people hey, if you want to marry somebody or date somebody or get to know somebody go golfing with them or do a puzzle because they'll let their hair down, they'll get silly, and you'll know what they're like. And it might be a good silly, or it might be an annoying silly, but you better do a puzzle with somebody before you really get serious with them. And so I saw that side of it, and I didn't know at the time that folk art was, and has proven to be, and Wysocki proved this, um, it's just a great genre for puzzles. Mm -hmm. There's so, because of the detail. Detail, yeah. So it was an accident, but I started to do it, so did you pitch a puzzle company and say, hey, I'm a painter? You I made them all stuff. on my own. I didn't even think own. that way. Wow. And and if I would have, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. And at one time, I actually wanted to get out because, there, again, nobody goes to college and goes, someday I'm going to make it in the puzzle world. I'm going to be the puzzle king. Uh, it's you not, are the puzzle king, though, pretty much. But it's not a... It's not a you, it doesn't come with a cape. <laughs> and nobody looks at it and goes, amazing! <laughs> I, I didn't want it to cheapen the art. And so I got to, known as the puzzle guy. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm not a puzzle guy. But I had to embrace it at some point. And well, it's it just, just a way of you creating a licensing of your yeah. own. Yeah. You know, whether it's puzzles or... 
you know, screen oh, savers sure, or sure. calendars or whatever. I mean, you've done a lot of different stuff, right? In the end, it's yeah. like being a chef. You cook mm-hmm. and you want people to eat it and go, that was tasty. So, uh, and, and the chef gets to see the satisfaction immediately. Mm-hmm. You do a painting, you put it, in, you want people to enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. to me, uh, there's nothing wrong, and, and I guess the term prostitution gets thrown around when, around when it comes to art. But why would you not put it in as many tasteful arenas as possible to represent your thought? Oh, you have to. You and have so, to. there used to be a stigma, you know, between being a real artist and being a you know an artist who sold out or was commercial. That's just silly, you know. You want to have as many manifestations, interpretations of your art in as many Where do you think that's going? Because continue to to happen. You know, the, it's all the, any successful artist has many. Incarnations of their art in many different ways to be able to be having well, a broader audience. When did that shift take place? Because in the early part of my career, yeah, it was looked yeah, down upon. It, it took it took place with Peter Max primarily. Think about Peter Max back in the '60s and '70s. He's a guy who had <clears throat> gym shoes and bed sheets and watches and buttons, and everybody wanted one. And people right. loved jumped all over that stuff. You know, people we walk around with their Peter Max buttons on all the time. You know. Right. And posters and all kinds of stuff, and he took a lot of heat for that because you know he he wanted to be a serious artist, and he was dismissed because he was too successful. <laughs> Isn't that you know, the uh, and, and after that? Yeah. Max would have followed somebody like yeah. Kincaid, Beth yeah. Doolittle, well, yeah. or yeah, you know, and then it just kind of opened up from there, and then the stigma was was gone. Although now that I think about it, Rockwell did a lot of stuff too. Norman Rockwell made a lot of, you know, made uh, Franklin mint plates and calendars right. and things like that, posters and stuff too. So he might even even been before Peter Max, but Rockwell was an artist who hung out at the Art Students League where Peter Max went to school. Peter Max met Rockwell because oh, really? Rockwell's friend was Max's teacher, Charles Riley, was like best friends with Rockwell. So Rockwell would come to the Art Students League and Max probably, Max probably met him and maybe he used Rockwell's kind of a model as well. So help me understand this because when I look back at art history and some of the benefits we receive today as artists yeah. who paved the way <laughs> and, I, and I'm asking you, you're going to have some knowledge in this area but I've learned or come to an understanding that if it weren't for Norman Rockwell fighting for the royalty and copyright side of his art, mm-hmm. he paved the way for an artist to do a painting and retain the intellectual property. Mm-hmm. He didn't get the benefits himself personally because yeah. Saturday Evening Post yeah. owned all that intellectual yeah, property. And so yeah. when he was done, the, yeah. the family's like, wait a minute, we've yeah. created this this iconic style yeah. Yeah. And, and we don't get a benefit from it. So he went to his family, if I, I believe is the story, uh, they went to bat and mm-hmm. and fought for that ability for an artist to retain that mm-hmm. copyright, or unless they outright sold it. I think it ended up in two different uh, ways. One was through uh, Curtis Publishing, and Curtis Publishing was the Saturday Evening Post right. publisher, and they retained the intellectual property for all the stuff that he did for Saturday Evening Post. And then it went to the Norman Rockwell estate. And Norman Rockwell State licenses the, all their own work, but that's a different. It's a separate right. thing from the Curtis Publishing House, which made, they maintain that intellectual property. I know this because we we actually have done contracts with uh, with the Rockwell State, right? And Curtis, so um, you know I know they're two separate entities, but yeah. So he he paved the way. He opened up that that opportunity. So you uh, you're making these puzzles, and then suddenly it's like lightning in a bottle, right? You're getting like, whoa! I got like. I'm selling puzzles like crazy. Yeah, right? I, I wasn't like, ready for it. Yeah, so it was it hard to keep up with the with the demand? What happens 
and I I think uh, I mean it's a it's an ax or it's a problem you want to have supply and demand, and I got a contract about ten years ago with with Costco. And Is that your first big contract? Yeah, that was yeah. the first big contract, yeah. and Costco didn't know. Even to this day in Costco, when I went in with my puzzles in the fourth quarter, and they were regionally specific, and this is the key. Well, that's how they operate. They, they yeah. test regionally. Don't well, I mean, yeah. no, the product that I was offering, the oh, puzzles oh, okay. nationwide. Yeah. Right. I mean, I put Miami puzzles in, in Miami, Miami. Yeah. And, yeah. and that isn't a huge undertaking. Everybody wants to put out uh, three subjects and have that cover the oh, entire country. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. My first offering was a hundred titles <laughs> in all these places and they'd never done that before. Through personal experiences I'd traveled around and done festivals I went, what do you have to lose? I'm the one doing all the oh, labor here. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's the same on your end, just let yeah. me do the work and put it out there. Yeah. So we did it and we blew the doors off of off yeah. of things and that's yeah. that was the year we uh, and we've done it several times since then, but right. we outsold everything in the toy world in Costco, and we were number three behind chicken and eggs. So <laughs> I, thought, I thought milk was in there, too. No. Yeah, milk was number four. <laughs> yeah. That's, but milk, two gallons, for you know, so they tape them together. So and, i got to go to Costco. I'm going to get a rotisserie yeah. chicken. I'm going to buy some eggs. Yeah. I'm going to get a puzzle and grab over the gallon of milk. That Those were the top four yeah. for the months of October, November, yeah. December. Yeah. And so with that phenomenon... I've become a kind of a tradition there, but the, the struggle has been or was, well, I need to give them something new for all these areas. And that's been the, that's what led to more of the topical paintings because I can't give Boston area a new Boston piece every year. Every year, yeah. Yeah, I want to, yeah. but the, how am I going to take care of San Francisco yeah, and Texas? Yeah, you can't make a hundred paintings a year. Oh yeah. my God, I finally did Minneapolis after all these years last uh, right. last year and... Blue, blue doors in Minneapolis. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, for for a while. Yeah, yeah. and and it's fun to see who buys what subject matter and why. And here's a topic that's kind of fun. There's certain people or demographics that it depends on their level of sophistication or puzzle doing. The theme was is I sell puzzles to people who don't buy puzzles because you may be a baseball fan. Um, but you don't like puzzles. But you like the Red Sox, so you buy the Red Sox painting in a puzzle format, and you give it to Billy, who doesn't do puzzles, but he likes the Red Sox. Well, that guy's going to lose puzzle pieces. Oh, but yeah. a person who loves puzzles, who buys a, a cat puzzle, they love puzzles and they don't lose puzzle pieces. It's funny, because we, we can tell who's going to lose our puzzle pieces, because they just don't do puzzles in there. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody by saying, well, this yeah. kind of group does this and they're going to lose. But that's the, been the challenge, keeping up with the demand of a Costco or somebody like that. Right. And, right. Uh, and you still to this day do them all yourself? Yeah. Or you don't yeah. have, a, you don't, you didn't sell out your so, license to a puzzle company or whatever? No. Like no. Sounds good until you have to do all the work and then it's, right. it's just a lot of work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually own some of the manufacturing and do a lot of that. We're looking to move manufacturing with this new uptick in uh, manufacturing in the States mm -hmm. to, to the West. But can you a, be competitive? Um, that's prices? the challenge. Yeah, we, right. we, we're within 25 cents. Yeah. You know? But that's just the puzzle arena. I yeah. love all yeah. right. products. I don't, I don't do the products outside of that. There's a few that I dabble with. I love creating different forms of art but when it comes to if somebody wants to put the paintings on a mug or a t-shirt somebody else can do that that's mm -hmm. too much yeah but you'll you'll still license it you'll yeah like, how many um 
typical pieces are in one of your puzzles, your commercial puzzles at Excel at Costco? So how many pieces? How many pieces in a puzzle? Oh, oh, uh, 500 to 1,000. 500 would be the the Red Sox piece mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know if they're puzzle people. And for all puzzle doers, <laughs> it's 1,000 pieces, and they won't do a 500 piece. <laughs> they're yeah. bored with 500 pieces. Yeah. yeah. By taking on an industry and learning an industry, because I'm an artist first. That's yeah. what I love. Yeah. But now... Figuring out an industry has been... Uh, it's got to be fun. No, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of psychology involved. Sure, and, yeah. It's yeah. You know, part of the learning in, in any business. So I heard a statistic today of how many puzzle pieces in the world exist by Eric Donald. Well, that was that was seven years... That video was seven years ago, the No Missing wow. Pieces video. So Because wow. I mentioned I have five kids. I now have eight. Yeah. So we've done the math, and so right. we took from then, and at that point we thought, we have about two billion puzzle pieces. <laughs> But it's now at around 15 billion 15 puzzle pieces. Because we'll do about a million puzzles in a year. in the world that yeah. have Eric Donald imagery upon them. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and that's can, why I asked the question, can, you know, you travel the world. Have you ever been to China and stood in a place where there's uh, hundreds of thousands of people? And you go, and, and to me, I, that's happened at many football games or mm-hmm. sporting events where you're like, there are so many people. Can I possibly matter? Mm-hmm. And with 15 billion puzzle pieces, it's funny, I, I always go back to if you lose one piece of a thousand piece puzzle, uh, that's the only piece that matters. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the, the discovery, oh, there's so many analogies with puzzles, life analogies, and people send them to me. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like self-esteem builder. Every time I put in a puzzle piece, I feel my self-esteem going up. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Tell your kids that <laughs> if they're struggling with life, and and it's really kind of fun to find the puzzle enthusiasts and to convert them to art, right? Because that's really what I'm that's doing. That's the thing, yeah. That's that's yeah. we're getting we're we're doubling back to that idea of, you know, you've talked about courier knives before. You know, the first idea of of art being available to people and they could spend time looking at art right. in their homes. We're too ADD today, you know. So, I mean, that's just to get someone to, to spend, you know, three minutes looking at a picture is, is astonishing today. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, but back in those days when there wasn't any television or radio, you'd finish, you know, dinner and you'd get, sit around and light some candles and, or, you know, a lantern or whatever and look at your Korean knives prints, right? Yeah, and then the influence that came from it. Because what's interesting about studying Korean knives and and I'd like to have this kind of influence, maybe with the puzzles, which is more time engaging. But they wrote the American story when America's story hadn't been written. For example, where did the white picket fence come in? Well, Curry and Ives did a painting with a white picket fence in front of a home. And everybody stared at that and went, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and Norman Rockwell did that with his painting of Thanksgiving, yeah. where Grandma's lowering the turkey onto the table. The table yeah. We think that's how it's always been, uh-huh. but up until that painting, people would celebrate Thanksgiving in a totally different way, and people saw um, on the Saturday Evening Post that piece, and they're like, that's how I want to do Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there isn't an artist friend of mine that I've met, or any artist that doesn't want to have kind of some influence with what they're doing, right. whether it's just to make people happy, uh-huh. or shock art, which wants people to think. Yeah. In the end, we want to influence some some thought. Mm-hmm. And 
if if a puzzle in three or four hours can create happiness or get somebody to notice something or enjoy a place or create memories and I'm I'm You're having a, an influence I'm You're a happy influence people's lives. You're yeah. engaging with them. Yeah. That's pretty but, cool. But but I'm sure when those artists painted that they were like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna change Thanksgiving. Right. That was Norman. Right. No. Yeah, I'm going to revolutionize Thanksgiving. And he wasn't yeah. painting nostalgia. Mm-hmm. He was painting his current day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how many artists you see out there mm-hmm. today, who's going to be nostalgic in mm-hmm. 30, 40 years from now? Mm-hmm. And already somebody like Peter Max is. Mm-hmm. In, in, in many ways, he is already nostalgic. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. In his lifetime, right. to achieve nostalgia, mm-hmm. that is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. At most that's the part where we have to die before we see what we've really done mm-hmm. and I'm not feeling well more so I could go well, it's good for, good for the market let's talk about the TV thing so now we now we pivot again we go from the products with you being the the all-time puzzle king to the PBS and TV and BYU TV is this something that you conceived of now I want to take this this concept of going to places and meeting people and capturing where they live and making it into a painting and creating this sort of wonderful synergy? Or did they come to you, or how did, how did it happen? I'd like to say it was a grand plan, but it, it was something, again, I stumbled upon. It, it, when you're standing, I'm going to try and relate this to my experience watching you uh, explain the masters. Because mm-hmm. you go into great depth and you start telling stories. Well, my first thought is, how does he know this? Mm-hmm. Where did you get this information? And this is fantastic. I would like to know more. But you, you can only say so much in front of a group of people and, and make it for an individual. Uh, but uh, that thought process, while I'm standing there and want to know that, is what was the genesis of me going out meeting fantastic people when I'm on the road. And again, with folk art being people and their interaction with their environment is the story, really, that I'm trying to capture, uh, I would meet fantastic people. And I'd tell stories about them when I got home, and some of them were fantastically, amazingly not true to everybody else. But I'm like, no, serious. This person was just like this. And it became my little uh, gem, but I wanted to share it. So, And I also wanted people to meet them and enjoy them as much as I did. So I pitched the show to a network and the network uh, at that time I guess it's now been six years uh, you know they pat me on my head and said that's nice good luck in your hopes and dreams because mm-hmm. it's that um, it was that odd back then this is before YouTube mm-hmm. um, because now if you tell somebody you have a TV show they're like yeah that's nice so do I mm-hmm. that, that was the how this started and then it was just a process of putting it out there because just because you want to do something on television there's then you have to actually be decent at it, and you don't know if you have it. And I, I, I believe what people are looking for is genuine, authentic interaction with people. I love to interact with the people on camera, and, I, and so when they're trying to steer us in filming, I'm like, just let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. Just let us have fun. And, and that's when I think it... You'll figure it out. That's when we're doing it. So that's how it started. Do you have any background in acting? None. None. I have a very dramatic mother with 12 children, so <laughs> I've learned a lot from her as uh, she she would play, tonight I'm going to put the fear in heaven in you, or tonight we're going to have a good day. My mom was very theatrical. <laughs> Didn't have time to be on stage. My grandma was in theater, and but again, back then it just was so... so did you do fun. a pilot? 
Yeah, so I did yeah, a pilot yeah. and I brought it home and it really wasn't very good, to be honest with you. Well, of course not. It's your, it, was a, it was your first. I know, but how good could it be, right? You know, $100,000 later, you're going, I wish it was better. Uh, but somebody, this is the fate of the universe, if you will. Somebody mm-hmm. saw it and went, there's something here. It's just like art. You see art, a lot of artists. You see thousands of great artists. How do you pick out the one that you think is going to elevate their game? And so somebody saw that in me, and I'm flattered they did. Um, and it it was their concept at that point where they're like, "Wait a minute, we can we can." I like where he's going with this. Mm-hmm. So it's such a cool idea. It's a really cool idea. I'm surprised it hasn't been done earlier. Honestly, yeah. that's where I sit back and yeah. go, "Thank you for the compliments." But really, right. anybody can do this. I should have been done well, a long time ago. Yeah, but, but not many people can paint like you. You know, so the fact that you're combining your painting skills, the uh, the aesthetic warmth of your paintings, and the inviting quality of your paintings, the engaging quality of your paintings, your personality. And the fact that you go out to these places and you meet these people and you construct this experience and then you document that experience into these astonishing paintings is a, that's just it's like it's phenomenal. It's an incredible I, I, idea. Great... I really kind of get to do what you do. What you do go you on stage and you're to promote all these artists. Mm-hmm. So all your arrows are pointing out. Mm-hmm. You're you're talking about them. When I go out and film, I'm trying to put together a painting, but my arrows have to be look at these places so my arrows are i'm deflecting everybody away from me and to the town and mm-hmm. the people right that's the goal yeah and facilitator so, yeah, yeah yeah i hope that's how it comes across oh totally totally it Trump. comes across very genuinely and with a lot of warmth and humor you're, you're you know you have a natural sense of humor oh, so you're very you laugh. yeah life yeah. is funny yeah. people are funny yeah yes. yep. yep how many shows have you have you done how many segments between all the networks you've been on uh, thirty-three. Wow, thirty-three. Have they all been thirty minutes? You use some yes. moments too. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It, and and to get thirty minutes, that's one week of filming. Mm-hmm. And so I I'd like to see it trimmed down. And, and unfortunately, the show we're we're in works to show a little bit more behind the scenes. The show, including tend, more outtakes. <laughs> yeah, it tends to be more travel heavy, which is nice because yeah. in battling the networks, this is a fun challenge I get every week. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, really, people want to know and see the art being made. Now, I'm not talking about a half-hour show. I'm making a piece of art. Yeah, you told me this before, that you got a lot of pushback on yeah, that. I yeah, I still do, because, yeah, um, yeah we, we like the travel and see all that, but, but mm-hmm. I think that uh, how do you get all that in a half hour? Yeah. That's the hard right. part. Right. And, again, we're too microwave of a society. we got to mm-hmm. see it now, be yeah. done. Yeah. and I want to see the finished painting now. Yeah, and you can watch... A whole year's worth of television filming in six hours. Mm-hmm. There's a season, twelve episodes, thirteen yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah, six hours for an entire year. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. The uh, editing. Are you involved in the editing? I would like to be more involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I want. Uh, yeah, I'd like. So to, much of it's in the editing. Yeah, I don't have time. You know, yeah. That's one yeah. of those moments where you're. It's super time. Maybe I got it from my mom. A little bit of controlling. That you've got to let go. You just mm-hmm. have to go. They're professionals. This is their gig. I can't change everything. I can't make sure my house is painted a certain way every time. How would you like to paint my house? Would that be a horrible job? Because I'd be like, you missed a spot and another spot. And they're like, oh, I can't paint for this guy. By the way, in case our viewers are not aware, the name of the show is called Painting the Town. Yes. Painting the Town. You do a lot with your website, too. Your website's really cool. You have, like, all of your... Are all your segments on your website? 
you know, the, the TV show's not allowed to be on my website. Okay. Um, most of that's through uh, an app, because now <clears throat> TV's on demand. So mm -hmm. I, I signed, we had a choice between Discovery Channel, Travel Network, and, and a few others. And now with Amazon and Hulu, I mean, it's all about content. Just make the show and then distribute it. Mm -hmm. But I chose the BYU TV app because it's universal. And believe it or not, the BYU TV uh, network is distributed more than ESPN. Mm -hmm. And when I found that out, I'm going, well, now I can... And, and it was all coinciding with Park West, for example, because Park West is worldwide. Mm -hmm. You guys deal with people on all parts of the globe. I need a network that's accessible globally everywhere yeah and so having the app and amazon's and and when i made that decision a few years ago even amazon didn't exist mm -hmm. in uh, in the television space but now they do and they're throwing gobs of money at it because it's all about content mm -hmm. and art is a tough one to translate to television mm -hmm. so i'm trying to win the battle bob ross did something in a time where y you can't do it again. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see somebody do it, but he was a one of a kind. Yeah, yeah. And so, well, when you think about it, art and TV—it's just very little is ever happening there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I maybe here's why I kind of think that. I think again back to what I said earlier. I want to take art serious, but not myself. Mm -hmm. And if you ever cross that line, then it uh, becomes too much about yourself. And mm -hmm. so, uh, as long as you're, you're painting a piece or and, you, and you're viewing it as creating a great dish for somebody to enjoy, mm -hmm. I think you can do it. I, and I know a lot of great artists where, well, I'd love to see them do that and turn to the camera and and, and explain what they're doing and, and why they're doing what they're doing. And I think the people watching it would like to know that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much, but it, to me it's intriguing. Go back in time. Michelangelo, why are you doing this? Uh -huh. And if he, if we could have a recording of him going, here's what I am thinking. And he's not Russian. but uh. <laughs> It's funny how you just don't see that much uh, overlap between the visual arts and contemporary content. If, you know, if they I, don't, I, mean, I don't know how artists are going to get themselves. It's too yeah, much of yeah. a competing space. I had somebody sit me down about 15 years ago. It's hard to think they said this to me 15 years ago because I still don't perceive myself in the situation that they said to me. They said, you had success too young. I'm like, I really don't think I've had success because if you ever perceive that, then you're going to lose it. But they, they thought I should suffer more. Mm. I'm like, well, first of all, you don't know what's going on in everybody's world. Yeah, okay. But it was interesting to see the perception because perception is so amazing. I mean, whether it's true or not is, isn't relevant it's their perception so it, when you mass create something for example people think you you you're you have it all or you're 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 living the life and and i enjoy that side of it but but oh the the labor involved in it is is the joy in it but but yeah yeah so we've else, changed it. something else that you do that i don't think a lot of people realize is that you provide an opportunity for young art students coming out of school to work with you and yeah. be a part of the, your creative process, which is awesome. I think that's so cool. Because, you know, you go to art school today, and, you, you know, you get out of art school. I mean, unless you're working in How you know, many some sort of, of, you know, computer design, and even then the competition's got to be just oh, fierce. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Disney can pay their people almost nothing because mm -hmm. they're just standing in line wanting to be a computer animator. Yes. Uh -huh. And uh, there's so many of them. And or today... The gaming industry, too, I would imagine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'll yeah. bet... 
Uh, and some of the fine art that we're not, uh, that we don't maybe get to see is because somebody made a choice to go into the gaming industry and they're phenomenal. And more people actually are going to see that work because it's such a massive uh, market. So, well, tell me about these young people. Where, well, okay, how so you find them and what they do because I think that's just awesome. I mean, it's the reality of, of going to school and figuring out what you want to do. But you have these great artists, and, and they get done. I wish we had every degree that we taught in school or every trade it was associated with a business mm -hmm. degree. But some people don't like the the personable or the the, the interactive side of business, mm -hmm. and so for them, it's going to be difficult to make it in the art world. You've got to talk to people. And today, with the young kids, they're doing it socially, which I'm trying to get caught up with. I mean, they know 5,000 people they've never met, and that idea of marketing myself that way is really difficult. So getting these young artists that can't make it, who are really great, and giving them an opportunity, uh, that that's my favorite part about what we do uh, because I'm pulling them out of a warehouse, stacking things, and putting them in front of uh, canvases and 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 you and workshop. Painting. Oh yeah, yeah. and I, I honestly didn't know that. Yeah, I it it, it was an accident. I'm mm -hmm. just doing it, and they're like, yeah. oh yeah, you're doing it like everybody else has done it. And I'm like, right. well, that's good to know. I'm not mm -hmm. too crazy coloring outside the lines. You don't want. <laughs> it's never been done before, and there's a good reason yeah. it hasn't been done before. That's what you don't want to hear. Right. Right. So yeah, th I, I'm fascinated with you know, the talent, the depth. Um, and yet, the lack of uh, education in the in the creative side of arts, mm -hmm. they'll talk about challenges rather than opportunities. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a, something of the generation, but I, I just love the fact that you can take somebody who wants to work with their hands and put them back to doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's gonna be fulfilling for them. So, what's on the horizon for you now? What's up and coming that you're comfortable talking about? Oh, personal and professional. Personal, I'd like my kids to, to come home and enjoy Dad at home more often. So I, now, what's, what's the age range now? 13 is the youngest at home, and he's the only one at home, okay. all the way up to 32. Okay. Any grandchildren? Seven. Whoa. Seven grandkids. Are they all uh, close by? Uh, yeah. Actually, the, the seven nice. are just... Uh, and so my wife is as happy as can be being a grandma, and she handles that. Uh, by the way, that that's the key to a, a decent career. It she understands and gets what I do, yeah. and is fully supportive. The, and 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 in her own right, she's a quilter, for example. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, she's so good. Mm. And I'm so bad because I'm like, honey, you can sell these things. She goes, I'm giving them to the grandkids. <laughs> All right, we'll give them to the grandkids. <laughs> so um, yeah, I. I I would like to, I, I'm having a lot of fun building my backyard as a grandpa, mm -hmm. so I have these farmhouses and these animals and, and some fun stuff for the kids to come over when I'm at home. Right. So I'm not a Disneyland dad, but I might be a Disneyland grandpa, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's my personal side of things, I'd really like to see that more and more time interacting with that. But going forward, I have some fun stuff where... Um, I know being in a big family and a patriotic family and a religious family in the West, I I've just had a, that's why I believe folk art's great for me. But um, yeah, patriotism now and patriotism is weird now. It's not how it used to be. Uh, apple pie, uh, strange bedfellows in politics. 
Yeah. And so I've, I've kind of watched as that's all transpired as you travel the world and visions of America and, and both good and bad and interesting. The future of some of my art, I want it to take on a little bit more uh, depth in that I still want it to be positive and upbeat and somewhat playful and whimsical, but a little more positive, upbeat, but more historical. So here's the future for me. America is turning uh, 250 in 2026. And for the longest time, I've wanted to figure out how... And one of my favorite buildings in the world is Mount Vernon, mm-hmm. George Washington's home in, uh, in Washington. And, and, and living in the West, we have great pioneer heritage, and we learn about the Native American out there, but we really don't have great American history. And, and today, what's interesting is you take America's history, and we, we, we end up spending a lot of time in the war years and then the pop culture side of things. And How do you tell a comprehensive story? So I've announced that we're going to build a museum in the West. It's going to be called the George Washington Museum of American History. But it's really an artist's um, story. Mm -hmm. And I say artist, not me. Mm -hmm. This is the thrill of what's on the horizon. Because Mm -hmm. back to the young artists, Mm -hmm. I want to work with hundreds of artists, Mm -hmm. giving them, commissioning them to do paintings for this museum. Like, like, here's Pocahontas. I want you to work with this historian and collaborate and really grasp this. Then I will work with them, and there'll be a small committee, but not a overbearing committee just somebody to kind of steer because we have to make sure it's historically accurate but we want it to be positive and really show what's really going on but the part that i think is really interesting is back to what's the next horizon going forward what's what's art going to be and what's america and this is the part where travel for me i think is coming to tell the positive world experience now because america and the world, you can't be an isolationist country anymore. We, we, I mean, look at us. We're, we're all connected. Where yeah. have you been? We, we just went to Vietnam. We're going to go to China. We're going to go to Japan and Taiwan. That, that's amazing. And again, it, speaking of the history of the world, that's still relatively new. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to be a little more globalist as a, as a, as a, a world. I mean, as everybody. But yet you want to be a citizen of a nation. So how do you tell the American story in 250 years and then look beyond and and tie that together? And that's where I believe I would like to take some of my insight and show that perspective of what it means to be an immigrant. Because immigration is happening in all countries. What's the world look like in 50 years from now? What are we going to know about each other that that it's going to be so much better than how it is now? Because one of the biggest uh, mistakes we have is misconception or misunderstanding or just lack of knowledge. So building this museum, hopefully, mm-hmm. will set the stage for a greater understanding of how America was and how America can be through the arts. Because mm-hmm. that's the universal language. Wow, cool. So I you, hope you're the perfect works. person for that, too, because you... You know, you've got this amazing ability to tell stories and to, you know, to be able to mentor young artists and mentor them 
in a way that we can preserve our American heritage and, and pass it on for future future generations. That's that's terrific. Yeah, the only reason why I think it's going to happen because everybody's told me there's no way it's going to happen. Uh-huh. So you know, yeah, yeah. Been told that your whole life. Yeah, you right? got to have the antagonist, to have the protagonist, and I've got the antagonist. It's fun to sit across and somebody's like, "What makes you think you can do this?" And I'm like, honestly. I can't. It's going to take a lot of smarter people than me. My contribution is, and the part that excites me again, is the art side. The building will be beautiful in the back. Have you ever been to Mackinac Island? Yeah. Grand Hotel? Mm-hmm, sure. The back part of Mount Vernon is going to be flanked with two grand um, verandas like uh, like Mackinac's Grand oh, Hotel. Grand uh-huh. So that feeling, you come into Mount Vernon, here's this big building, you come around the horseshoe in the back. That's one of my favorite buildings in the world. And it has such a grandiose feel. I want to fill those buildings full of art. Wow. So, Good for you. Not my art. You, yeah, it'll no, be fun to work with yeah. Park West uh-huh. as, yeah. as I come across a topic and I go... Hey, uh, I need an artist that you believe will be able mm-hmm. to tell the story of Pickett's Charge from the Civil, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for whatever manifestation that they, they tell it in. Yeah, I hope there's 200 yeah. styles of art uh-huh. in the museum uh-huh. with uh, and, and thousands of pieces of art. What a great vision. So uh, wow. we, we hope it works. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Well, if you're not familiar with Eric's art, uh, to our listeners, make sure you check out his work on at the Park West website, which is parkwestgallery.com, and then also on your website, which is... Uh, Dowdlefolkart.com. Thanks, Eric, for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Park West Gallery's Behind the Artist. To learn more about Parkwest Gallery's family of artists, visit us online at parkwestgallery.com or follow us on social media. You can subscribe to Behind the Artist on your favourite podcast app and be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes.